This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can be gathered together in your name. We're thankful for the truth that you are great and mighty and wonderful and holy and powerful, God. And we gladly surrender to your lordship, Lord. I ask that your spirit be in this service, Lord, that you would meet us where we are, Lord, no matter what kind of week that we've had, Lord. I ask that your spirit would meet us here and that we would be changed and that we would love you more than when we first came in. It's in the great name of your son, Jesus Christ, that we pray these things. Amen. Thank you, Daniel. Say our phrase with us again. Will you please? Let's say it. While going through life. This has been a um, very tragic weekend for our country and for our community. Um, In El Paso, I think the number of people that were shot and killed by a gunman was about 20 and many, many more in the hospital. And then last night at about 1 a.m., a gunman down in the Oregon district of Dayton killed nine people and 26 are in the hospital. And uh, he did all that in a matter of 60 seconds. And a police officer was right there and stopped him. And so he is deceased as well. This is a, a, just a heartbreaking, tragic thing. For so many, many obvious reasons. You know, the, the, the carnage is done to families. Um, what it does to a community. The fear that it puts into all of us. And of course the big, maybe unanswerable questions of why. Why would somebody do that? And uh, why did people have to die? And, and uh, all, the, all the things that's involved. And it leaves all of us, um, I think, hurting. And we especially hurt for those families. I saw on Facebook that one of the people that uh, in my former church uh, went on Facebook and reported that she was safe, that she had been down there in that tragedy. And some people are still not sure about their loved ones, if they're one of them that's in the hospital or not. They haven't heard from them. Um, I didn't even know about this until I got in the car to come here this morning. And my radio was on, uh, on and that they started talking about it. So I know a lot of people are waking up this morning to discover this horrific thing that's happened in our own, in our own community here. Dayton has been hit by two awful tragedies. The, the tornado that uh, fortunately no one was killed in that, but so much loss of material things. And now the loss of lives. And, you know, we think of a community hurting so badly. And what do we do with that? What do we do? What are we prepared to do with that? Um, while going through life, you wonder if the people that in our own community, let's just focus on that, 
the nine people that lost their lives, and maybe some more will not make it from being injured. They said that some of them were pretty critical. Um, where were they in life? What, what is their spiritual, what was their spiritual condition? Um, were they lost? Did they know the Lord? Did they not know the Lord? If we could look into their history, um, were any of them in contact with believers, but the believers never asked them the question, do you know Christ? Where are you spiritually? Whatever. Do you have a church? What? You just wonder what happened to those nine people. Were they prepared or not prepared? And the thing that we have to understand, folks, is that everybody we know, everybody you know, everybody you're acquainted with, everybody that lives in your community, they're only a heartbeat away from that same tragedy or the same fate. Death has, death has no, um, it doesn't care. Death doesn't care about your age, your position in life. It's not a respecter of anything. It comes to those who shouldn't and, and they're gone. Uh, death doesn't come to those who you know, want to go home to the Lord or want to just be out of this miserable life they're in. Death is not a respecter of persons. We have to understand that, that our neighbor, our loved ones, our family, they could be the next that are tragically taken or just are taken. That's why it's so important for us to understand what it is that we're about as believers. And it troubles me, it's troubled me for so many years, that the American church has evolved into something that I don't believe God really intended for us to be. And that's a, a community that meets in the four walls of a building and it's like a fortress and we worship and we love each other and we take care of each other and we're just all like in that tight community and everything. And then once we leave here, the world around us is, you know, it's there, but the American church doesn't seem to have that penchant for bringing people to Christ like we've been reading about in the book of Acts. And if any of you have ever done any missionary trips, and but you don't have to, you just can hear the news. Christianity is sweeping through third world countries at an unprecedented rate. People are being converted to Christ in third world countries, China, Japan, South America, everywhere that there are churches, people are, are giving their life to the Lord in record, record, record numbers. But here, we're going the opposite direction. The church is dwindling. Our power, our, our um, influence um, is dwindling. And, and I think we need to realize that Christianity is still alive and strong and it changes people's lives. But it only changes people's lives when we are changed. You, you know, the, when we are excited about who we are and when we really believe who we are and when we really believe what the alternative is if you're not a person who knows Christ. 
that we, we should have sleepless nights. I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of sleepless nights for the people who, uh, the families and the friends of those who have just died so tragically. There's going to be sleepless nights for them wondering. We should have sleepless nights because our neighbor is so hard to reach. We've tried, but they're so hard. Or our family members. I've got family members that, you know, they're not where they should be, and, and, and I just, I, I worry about them. We, we pray about them every night. We beg God to put somebody into their life that, that can impact them because we've not been able to. And, and it should bother us so much that we think about this all the time while going through life. Every time we exit here, every time we get up in the morning, every time we go to the grocery or to work or to school or to wherever we go, there should be this burden on our heart that maybe that person doesn't know and that person doesn't know and nobody's ever asked them. My wife worked in a, in a dental office. She uh, uh, was a hygienist. And when she first went into this dental office right out, out of school, there was uh, a young lady there, and my wife would tell me about her. She is just one of the nicest people I know, and she just is, there's just something different about her. There's just something different about her, and I really like this young lady. And, and for a year or more, they worked together, and then she moved out of town. My wife wasn't a Christian. Years later, Sharon became a Christian, and it dawned on her what it was about this woman that was different. And then that woman came back into town one day, and she came by the office to visit everybody. And Sharon pulled her apart aside, and she said, I, you're a Christian, right? She said, yeah, I am. She said, I, I always knew that there was something different about you, but I just didn't know what it was because I wasn't. She said, so I, I, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me what was different about you? I don't understand that. Why didn't you tell me? You see, if we're the witness of Christ that we're supposed to be in life, and while we're going through life, if we're that witness, there are people just like we've read in, in the book of, of Acts 11, where they, the community of non-believers are the ones that said of these Christ followers, they must be Christ followers because we watch how they act, we watch how they live, we watch what they do. And they must be Christ followers. They're the ones that picked them out of the, out of the bunch to be different. Wherever we go, people that, are, that know us especially, they should be saying something about us. There's something different about them because they see our Christ life. And, it, and, and when they see that difference in us, it makes it so much easier to build that bridge of relationship over to them where we get the opportunity, maybe you could call it the privilege of someday sharing what's different. So this whole thing that I've been talking to you about, about the church of Acts and what they were doing, and the church in Acts and what they were doing and, and how we ought to be um, following through on something very similar to that, that we have the same power, that we have the same uh, God that has, has called us. We have the same Jesus they had. We have the same Holy Spirit they had. We have, that is all a part of who we are, just like it was. But we read about what they do and we go, wow, that is really great that they did this. I mean, I want you to think about what we've read in, in Acts 11, if you've not been with us, but Acts 11, they... The, the, the Christians, and I am way off my sermon, by the way. 
the Christians in Jerusalem are only reaching Jews, the new Christians, the new followers of Christ. They're only reaching out to the Jews because that's what Jewish people always did. They only, they were very much on their own, living for just as Jews. And so these new Christian Jews are only trying to get other Jews to convert. Not the Gentiles, as they were called, the non-Jews. The persecution, which many theologians believe, and I believe as well, the persecution, which was really God moving, because Jesus told them, go and make disciples. This is where our phrase comes from, while going through life. Jesus told them, go and make disciples of who? Anybody know? All nations. But they were right there in Jerusalem. That wasn't all nations. That was all Jews. And so the persecution of them for being Christians and being people who were converting Jews to, to Christianity, the persecution of them became so intense that many of them moved out. And one group went to Antioch. And there in Antioch, there may have been some Jews lived there, but there weren't very many. And suddenly the Spirit of God moving on them, they came to think about this. You know, these, these Greeks need to know what we know. Jesus said, all nations. And so they go into Antioch and they become this, this body of Christ followers that is living like Jesus did, loving people, serving people, helping people, praying for people, whatever they were doing, all the things they were doing, to the, to the point where people started noticing them. And as, and as followers of Christ, that's what we are supposed to be doing in our community around us. We love to hang out with each other. You know, we, we tend to do that. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. We need that fellowship. We need this. We really need that. We need to worship together. We need to study together. We need to be a part of each other's lives. But let, this is not all that Christ wants for us. This is just a, a piece of it. Here's another thing I want, I want to point out to you in, in, at this church in, in, um, in chapter 11. They were doing all this and the news got back to Jerusalem that they were converting Greeks. And so the, the, the church in Jerusalem said, we've got to check this thing out. So they, they sent Barnabas to see what was happening. Barnabas gets there and sees the grace of God on them, it says, to, was so powerful that Barnabas was impressed. And he, he said to them, keep it up. This is, this is not what we did in Jerusalem, but, you, but I like what you're doing here. This is the hand of God on you. Keep it up. Now, you know what's really, Barnabas stayed well for, with them for a while. Then he went and got Saul, brought Saul back. And it says for an entire year, Barnabas and Saul taught the church, taught the believers. There were so many coming to faith. They stayed there and they just kept teaching them, teaching them. You know what? There was no pastor in that church. There were no leaders, no leadership team in that church. They were a body of believers that just started doing what Christ told them to do. They didn't, they didn't wait for the ordained. They didn't sit there as a, as a, a new body of believers in in, uh, in, 
in Antioch and say, well, I hope, I sure hope they send us a pastor. Hope pastor shows up one day. Uh, why don't we elect three or four or five or whatever leaders and let them do everything? They just, they did it themselves. To our knowledge, they didn't have a building. They were just in their community. They were just living. They were just going through life. And they were being everything that Christ called them to be when he said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And what does that mean? Baptizing them, bringing them to faith, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I have commanded you. So there was the teaching element. Barnabas and Saul began doing the teaching element to them. But you as a believer in Christ, if you bring a disciple into, if you are discipling someone, you are teaching them as much as you know. That's why we need to be taught ourselves. We need to be in the Bible ourselves. We need to be learning what the Bible says because someday you may get to do that. Now, for all of you that have had children and all of you have children right now, I want to tell you, you are in a sense discipling them because you're teaching them how to grow up. You're teaching them how to be an adult, how to be a woman, how to be a man, how to be, you know, a, a citizen, how to do, you teaching them all these things because that's what you're called to do as a parent. That's parenting. And Lord, we see the result when kids grow up without that. It's not good, right? So you are, as parents and as grandparents maybe, you are teaching your children. You are, in effect, mentoring them or, in effect, discipling. You could say it's discipling because discipling is learning and teaching. And, and what the Bible says, what Jesus said, is that you are to be so versed in your own Christian faith and why you believe in Christ that you should be able to disciple other people. And if you don't know how to do it without, um, w without help, there are tons of great material that will lead you through how to have a group and how to disciple people. This is what we're called to do. We have got to break out of what, what has been, become the, the model of most churches, which is Let's have church and hope somebody new shows up. Let's have church and hope that, you know, the pastor can get somebody to come with these great sermons and, you know, get the media going and have like the greatest worship in the world and all that. That'll get people to come and build a bigger building and build a fancier building and have more programs and all that. That'll get people to come. Build it and they will come. Remember that one? Well, that works to some degree, but it doesn't work like it, like it does when you are bringing people. In chapter 11 of Acts, it says, the grace of God was on the people. And when that grace was on them because they had given their life to Christ, it poured out of them. They began to pray when they moved into that community. They prayed intensely. Not, you know, they went through their own laundry list of needs, I'm sure. But they began to pray for that community. And they prayed and they prayed. They knew that their community needed salvation. 
We know that they were already filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit didn't just teach them how to be good religious people. The Holy Spirit taught them how to, to display Christ-likeness. The church was so powerful that the story about them was being told everywhere. That's how Jerusalem found out about them. There's just something special about that church at Antioch. And that, that apparently anyone could look at them and see, they could observe that the grace of God was on these folks. It was amazing to the people around them. You know, grace is, uh, the word grace is used about 170 times in Scripture. Uh, the first time it's used, it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The last verse it's used in is uh, by John in Revelation twenty-two twenty-one, And it says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Grace is a special word in the Bible. It has to do with God's favor. The church at Antioch had the favor, and because of that, they were contagious, they were infectious, and considerable numbers, Acts eleven twenty four says, were brought to the Lord. You see, it really does take God's grace to draw people to the church. It really takes God's grace to draw people to Christ. But that grace doesn't leap from God to the non-believer. That grace comes to us and then to the non-believer. We are the vessels of that grace. The, we are the demonstrators of that grace. We're the ones that carry grace into the world around us. While going through life, we carry grace to people. Go through those notes, and, and if you would, and to the first point there, it says, they embrace the entire community. You know, that's one of the biggest steps of outreach, that we find a way to reach the entire community. You know, there are people in your community that you probably don't feel like you could ever relate to. Maybe you don't even like some of them. You know, there's those people. Sometimes that's the way we think. Those people are, or, you know, the people live in that community. Whoo, you know, they're, and we divide our communities up sometimes. This church at Antioch embraced the entire community. Um, not like the church in Jerusalem, focused on one group, but the entire community. Antioch, in Antioch, God's grace upon the church, what it did to them was what it can do for us when we really submit to that grace and pray for that grace and, and just say, God, I want that on me. I want to be um, a, a vessel for that grace. It opened their hearts. It opened their hearts in such a way that when they saw the lost, they wanted to do something for them. That is, that is so amaz amazing. It ought to be encouraging to all of us. And especially as we know that our community around us has demonstrated, and, and last night with that mass shooting, there are people who are on the verge 
of going wherever they're going to go because they have died, whether it's heaven or what else. And that should bother us that we maybe had an opportunity to touch them and we didn't. Maybe you didn't know any of those nine people. I, I didn't know any of them. I don't know, right as of this moment, I don't know if any of the ones that were shot and hurt, I don't know if I know them or not because their names haven't been released. But what if you didn't know them? How would your heart break because you never took a moment to speak to them? And we, and we understand that today, People don't come to the church for the same reasons that they used to, especially for what some of us who are older used to remember. People came to church. You know, when, we, when I grew up, uh, and maybe some of you younger folks will find this surprising, but when I grew up in school, every morning we said the Lord's Prayer. Anybody here ever do that? We said the Lord's Prayer every morning in school. Easter? We did an Easter program that talked about the resurrection. When we did Christmas, we did a program that talked about the birth of Christ. When we took music class and chorus, if you were in that, you sang gospel songs. Even if you didn't go to church, there was some foundational things that even through elementary school and into junior high probably were, were, were taught to you. You had some clue, some idea and people back then, if they decided maybe I need to go to church, they knew you go to church to worship. They knew that because there were gospel songs. You, you go to church to find out about Jesus. They knew that because we had the programs that talked about him. And we did the prayers about him. Today, we have people who don't know any of that. They're, it's not embedded in them like it was in us. So people don't come to church today for worship. They don't come for Bible instruction. They don't come for, for uh, spiritual help. That's not the reason they come today if, they're, if they don't know anything about the Lord. What they come for today is that they need something. Their family's in trouble. They're in trouble. They're, there's a, 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 some sort of need. Maybe they, it's financial. Maybe it's they're hungry. Maybe they need clothing. Maybe they just need whatever. But they come for, and they want to know, what can the church do for me? And some of us don't like that idea. But we need to respond to that. Because first you have to meet their needs before you have the opportunity to show them the love of God through the words and through the explanation of who God is. That's the way it is today. Whether we like that scenario or not, you first have to meet people's needs, whatever those are, if you can. Then you might be given the privilege. Then you might be given the privilege. Did you know that 95% of the people that Christ impacted with his messages and healing were brought to Christ? People brought people to Christ. Or people said to others, says, Jesus is coming. You need to go see this. And they encouraged them to go see Jesus. 95% of the people Jesus touched, 95%, he was able to touch them because somebody influenced somebody to come see him in some way or another. I'm going to give you another stat. 
And this, when I read this statistic a couple of years ago, it was so, seemed so outlandish. I, I just couldn't believe it. I had to do some research to make sure that it was true, and it is. According to the last census, 80% of our community, 80% do not know Christ and do not go to church. 80% of our community, eight out of every 10. On your neighborhood street, if there's 10 houses around you, statistically, eight of them don't go. Now, I can tell you on my neighborhood where, I, where we moved from uh, about two years ago, out of the 10 around me, none of them went. And the community I live in now, I'm not sure any of them go. Just a few weeks ago, Sharon and I went down the street. We wrote down everybody's address, made up a letter, invited them all to our homes on Sunday night, and we're doing a Bible study. You know, I don't know who knows Jesus and who doesn't, but I can tell you one thing. Opening the garage door, driving in and shutting the garage door, I never will find out. Until I get out in that community and do something for that community, I will not know who the people are. But I can tell you this. If you ever say, well, I've asked everybody I know, because this is one of the famous lines that we use as Christians. I've asked everybody I know to come to church. I've asked all my family. I've asked all my friends. I've asked the two neighbors. And, you know, I've asked everybody I know. 80% don't go to church. Have you asked all 80%? Of course not. None of us have. I found that figure to be very convicting to me because I had not realized, I never thought about how many that I know or almost know don't go to church. Eight in 10 of your work coworkers, eight in 10 of the people in schools, eight in 10 of the people at the gym or wherever you go, eight in 10 do not know or do not go to church. Listen, I had a senior one, one day, which now I am, but years ago, I had a senior come to me and say, well, pastor, I, 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 there's, you know, I know you want us to do this, go out and invite people to church and for Easter or whatever it was. And he said, I've asked everybody so many times that I know that they, they don't want to hear it anymore. So, well, then you need to go find some new people. Well, how am I going to do that? I said, you ever go into McDonald's? in the morning. Every McDonald's I know of has a group of old guys sitting there drinking coffee and telling the same lies they told last week. Telling the same stories over and over. And they sit there every week. Why are they there? They want fellowship. So go to that McDonald's and ask those guys, can you sit down and have a cup of coffee with them and get to know them? And you're going to have a whole group that you don't know to ask the church. And, and you can do that so many different ways. But you have to do it. We have to do it. If, what if we found out that those nine people who lost their lives last night, what if we found out that all nine of them had recently been asked, do you know the Lord? And they received Christ. Would we not be celebrating that just like, you know, we found out just last week that happened to him. This week, he's in heaven. Wouldn't that be an awesome thing? Wouldn't that be something to celebrate? Instead of being, oh my, 
Oh my, I knew that person and I did zero. I've been challenging you with this every week. And this, you know, I, I know I'm off script this morning. It's not what I plan to preach. And I hope you hear my heart. I'm not trying to rail on anybody. I'm just trying to wake us up. I'm trying to put something into us that God wants in us. And that's a burning fire, a passion. A passion that we just won't let go. I talked to Reggie a couple weeks ago. Reggie, I hope you don't mind, but Reggie's talking about coaching basketball, and he was telling me all about this, how exciting it was and everything. And I said, you know what, Reggie, you've got a passion. See, that's the kind of thing we need. We need a passion for the lost. And I hope and pray that we will gain that. I hope and pray that we will, on our own, begin praying every day earnestly with all of our heart. Every day we pray, Lord, I want to feel that grace. I want to display that grace. I want to have that passion. I want to, you know, be aware of every opportunity that you put in front of me. I I don't want to pass any of it up. I want to be bold, Lord, more bold than I ever have. I want to say to my neighbor, I love you, but I just need to know, do you know the Lord? Where, or, or however you want to phrase it. Where are you at spiritually? Or do you ever go to church? Or what, however you want to, to box the question to, to lead them to something. Uh, Lord, I pray that, Lord, I want to know, is there a need in my community? Do you know what your neighbor's needs are? Do you, do you know what hurts them? Do you know what leaves them lonely? Do you know what sickness they might have? Do you know any of the needs of these people that once you meet their needs, once you start telling them, let me help you with that, let me pray for that for you? And I'll close with this story. When we moved, uh, started doing the snowbird thing in Florida, neighbor across the street, um, her and her husband, um, they were both in their 80s, and they were going to go on a bus tour, all excited about going on this bus tour. And that morning, he walked out to his garage, had a major stroke, and died. This is the neighbor, I think I told you before, had not been in church for, well, so she was in her 80s. She had not been in church since her six-year-old daughter passed away. And I happened to be available, so I went to the hospital with her, and I asked her if I could pray for her and the husband, I prayed for with them. And I, she instantly, she had nobody, no family there, instantly clung to Sharon and to me. And about four weeks later, I get a note from her daughter-in-law, who was a Christian, and her daughter-in-law said, I can't believe the impact that you being available to her has had because for the first time since I've known my mother-in-law in 30 years, I heard her pray. See, right now she has this great need. She's all alone. Her family's not, not near 
we have this opportunity to minister to this woman. We keep in contact via phone and, and when we get back down to Florida, we'll be ministering to her some more. But I, my, my prayer for her, we pray for her every night, is that we will help her find Christ again. Do you know the needs of your neighbors? Do you know? There's where you start. Being a part of that community around you. So much a part of that community around you that you can influence them. And they're going to start saying, man, they must be Christ followers. Stand with me. Father, we lift up these people who are suffering so much from the tragedy of last night, both in El Paso and here in our own community in Dayton. We can't even imagine how hurt they are, how angry they are, how they feel cheated as their loved one has been taken from them. There are so many things going through their hearts and minds right now, devastation, we just lift them up to you. And God, I, I know that all around each one of these families that's suffering, there are Christ followers. And I pray for the, that this would be an opportunity for somebody to reach into their lives and give them hope and share grace and love with them. And I pray for us that while we are going through life, that we see the same thing. That there are people who are so needy and we have gotten so much to share with them. Eternal hope, the power of God, the grace of God, the love of God. We've got so much exciting stuff to share with them. And I don't want us to be like that girl that Sharon worked with who displayed a lot of stuff but never told Sharon what it was. I don't want us to be that way. I want us to pay attention to our neighbors, our community. And if the opportunity arises, we need to step forward and show them who Christ is. Bless us, Lord. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.